Quarter before 8 o'clock on this uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, Michael Eisenberg, who's been a guest of ours before, we've had the pleasure of having him in our studio here in New York City. He is uh, in Israel, and he's the author of the brand new book, The Tree of Life and Prosperity. The Tree of Life and Prosperity, 21st Century Business Principles from the Book of Genesis. Michael Eisenberg is co-founder and general partner at Aleph an early-stage venture capital fund with over $500 million under management. Aleph focuses on partnering with great Israeli entrepreneurs to build large, meaningful companies and, and impactful global brands. Since its founding in 2013, Aleph has invested in more than 40 companies, including, hope I have these pronounced right, Milio, Lemonade, Bring, JoyTunes, Healthy.io, and Nexar. I probably mispronounced one or more, but... Hey, I gave it a shot. Michael Eisenberg, author of The Tree of Life and Prosperity. Welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you so much, Nachum, and thank you for that musical lead, and that's literally my favorite song. Wow. Go figure. No such thing as coincidence, huh? You know, one of the problems, and maybe that's the wrong word, uh, I, I think one of the great things about writing a book that's based on the Parsha of the, of the Week is that people have an option of... Uh, you know, taking it all in in one sitting or, or following along week by week. And I think that's a great system. And obviously, Parsha books in general and books that uh, follow the Parshiot are very, very popular. The challenge for the author, and maybe you'll tell me it's not a big deal, is trying to fit their theme into each Parsha. With that in mind, are there, in fact, 21st century business principles in every single Parsha of Safer Bracious, and I would say also of the Torah? That's a great question. And by the way, when, when we wrote the book, my uh, editor in Hebrew, Rabbi Amit Miskav, and I debated whether to build the book in, in terms of concepts or, or context or to do it by Parsha. And I insisted it be done by Parsha because I think that's, that's how we read the Torah. Well. Um, but mo most importantly, in every Parsha, uh, there is a topic, and, and the book started as Parshanut. It started as textual uh, analysis and not as a business principles book, and it's written as such. I take the text of the Torah, we look at a given uh, story or set of verses in the Torah, they're re-explained through an economic lens, going back to the time uh, that it's written uh, or that it happened, and then uh, parallel to something that's going on in modern times. So, you know, just as an example... There's parshanut, um, or explication of the verses in, in the story of uh, Brasis in, in, in Gan Eden, in the Garden of Eden, where uh, Adam and Eve have all their sustenance provided for. And this reminds us, of course, of, of the current debate around universal basic income. Should we just give out money to people uh, so that they can live and then they'll do great things? Well, we find out that in the Garden of Eden, in Gan Eden, uh, you know, Adam and Eve don't do anything. They're bored. They don't even talk to each other. Eve, Chava, talks to the serpent, and there are no children in the Garden of Eden because there's no work to do. Only once man and, and woman are expelled from Gan Eden uh, do they get to work and do they start having kids and, and reproducing. And I think that's very uh, impactful on modern thinking as to whether we should provide sustenance. And by the way, post-COVID, we actually had a try at this because the government gave out checks and we right. know people aren't coming back to work. Right. We have a living lab of the Garden of Eden. Yeah, no question about it. The first thing I thought of as I was, I was, I was reading that is that uh, you know today? I mean, is it can one say is is it is it too simplistic to say that it all comes down to whether people are fending for themselves or being provided for? 
Is that like is that like just a basic principle of economics, but not just economics, but life in general? You're either going to be provided by somebody else, or you have to work and make sure to do what you need to do to support your family. I think it's not only uh, uh, about working to support your family. There's value to work in itself. I think the lesson of of much of safer bracious, but certainly of the story of of, of uh, the parsha bracious in Gan Eden, is that there's value to work itself. Like I said, man does not have any children until he begins to work, right. creates bread, deals with thorns and thistles, coats for dardar, and, and, and that in itself is important. And, uh, you know, just getting fed or sustenance or what they call parnasa is, is not sufficient. We need creative endeavor. Right. Uh, so when one goes ahead and, uh, and implements real work, real ambition, real creativity into society, the ripple effect, the benefits have such an amazing ripple effect on everybody, as you just said, way beyond just one person and their family. Absolutely. And, you know, and I think we can, we can take lesson from Abraham Avinu in, in, in this regard. So, you know, Abraham comes uh, to Eretz Canaan, and we know he comes with his wife and 70 uh, souls uh, and a lot of rechush, uh, a lot of possessions, and lot. Is, is nephew. We only know one biographical fact about Lot, and that is he's an orphan. Right. As far as we know, Abram is a wealthy man, and then there's a famine, and he goes down to Egypt. When they, when they leave Egypt, the Torah tells us that both Abraham and Lot are wealthy. So here we have Abram uh, working hard. He earns more wealth in, in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, um, but he also seems to invest or partner up with his, with his orphan nephew, Lot. And this is part of the value of when we work and then help other people become successful uh, we have more success. Unfortunately, Lot loses the uh, he loses the important message, which is that uh, material wealth is supposed to be used for spiritual pursuits, mm-hmm. and it finds himself in Stone and Amora. But you know that's that's another part of the book I get to. Yeah, and 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 by the way, that's not just there. I mean, it's it's similar to I think it's similar to how you described Noah's generation uh, it, when there's ex when there's excess when there's availability. Uh, when there's when there's ease when when there's an easier method to earn a living or to get things done, often that leads to problems. And and not to not to depict your presentation as you know, if you do one way, you have these problems. If you do it another way, you have these problems. But it does seem like every one of these economic directions comes with its own set of challenges. Yeah, I think you know, in general, life is complicated, and we can't simplify it. And you know, your point about Noah is, is super important. So we all, the first thing that comes to everybody's mind when we talk about Noah is, who's Noah? Well, he built an ark, and, and he saved everyone from the flood. But I think the truth about Noah is, is both more complicated and more, uh, more subtle. And so Noah is an inventor. He doesn't just build and invent the ark. What he does is he first invents the plow. Chazal say that he invents the plow, but it's there in the Psukim itself. You just have to look. Um, because what goes on is five generations before Yered, his great-great-great-grandfather, um, decides to start having children at a later age. He's like the Thomas Malthus of his generation. Malthus, of course, is the Anglican priest from a couple hundred years ago, who said there'll never be enough food in the world to feed the explosion of humanity. Well, there's now five times as many people, and we're all still here, so everything's okay. And uh, what happens is, is that five generations in, uh, Noah invents the plow, and he's the first person to have three children, and the Torah tells us that uh, population exploded afterwards, but there is more material wealth then because he unlocked the ability to produce more food. Right. And that's the first story of Noah, but then humanity destroys itself because of this era of abundance. And then later on, after the flood, Noah plants a vineyard, 
and he invents chemistry, fermentation, and wine. He's the first uh, creator and drinker of wine, which is an unbelievable innovation, just like the plow is an unbelievable innovation. And wine is like the water of the ancients because it was clean and not brackish, especially after a flood, uh, because it was alcoholic. And you can do amazing things with wine, like be happy, et cetera. And Noah, unfortunately, drinks himself to a drunken stupor and is abused uh, by his son, and it ruins his family. And I think what this teaches us is innovation is great, and it's super important and propels society forward and creates errors of abundance. But if we don't have timeless values and values of the Torah to go alongside of it, it goes sideways. And Noah went sideways. I think the same is true today. Artificial intelligence, synthetic biology, autonomous vehicles, robots. We have so much innovation that's propelling society forward, but we need timeless Torah principles alongside of it to make sure it goes the right way. Michael Eisenberg is with us. The book is called The Tree of Life and Prosperity, 21st Century Business Principles from the Book of Genesis. Well, I was about to say to you that you know there's no era of abundance like this era. Uh, you know, we're, we're in covid and there's a lot of poverty on this planet, but I don't know if there's ever been a time when there's been more abundance, availability, um, a lot of disposable income, uh, a lot of people spending on things that we never, that our parents and grandparents never would have dreamed that people would spend on these days. Uh, I, I mean, I, do you? I mean, I, without what? What are the Torah principles? that we should be incorporating into society today that would, you know, stem the tide of the evil that might come from this era of abundance? So I'll say two things about this. Uh, one is covered in this book, and one is actually covered in the book in Tvarim, which is basically written in Hebrew already. Um, so one of the things I advocate for in the book is to remove the dichotomy between business and charity, and that businesses for the 21st century need to be built on timeless principles and ethics. And, you know, that's the case of Lemonade. If you think about the world of insurance, I have bad news for your listeners. If they have a traditional insurance company, the insurance company uh, makes money when they're miserable. What does that mean? You had a flood, God forbid, or a car accident. The insurance company is incentivized to reject your claim because they make more money that way. Right. Came along Lemonade, this company I invested in, now public, uh, New York Stock Exchange, and said, you know, we should just take money for managing the pool. We should not make more money when we're rejecting other people in their time of needs. And so they, they take a flat fee for managing the pool. And people get paid properly and are happier customers, and this is the fastest-growing insurance company in the world right now. And there's a reason for that is aligned principles in business will create better brands and companies in the 21st century. And that's what I advocate for uh, in the introduction and, and throughout the book based on Torah principles. But I think in, in Safer Dvarim, particularly in the last week's parshas, the tar- we're not the first people to enter abundance. Am Yisrael, when it goes into the land of Israel, the Torah says you'll find houses you didn't build and vineyards you didn't plant, and you'll become wealthy and successful. You'll have a haughty heart, and you'll forget God, and that he gave you the strength to do these things. And, and I, I think that's a super important uh, place to be and understand that even if we are talented, like like the Ron says on uh, on the Pasuk of Kochiva Otsimiyadi, you have talents and you're unique and you really have accomplished a lot and they are your talents. But you were born with some of those talents and those came from God, even if you have uh, accomplished a lot with those talents. Mm. And we need to have that understanding and build businesses that have that understanding. And I think COVID's taught us anything. It's a lot of humility. Well, I understand what you're saying. Uh, and, and uh, you know, you might have the only book that I know of that has both Avraham Avinu and Mark Zuckerberg mentioned in it. Uh, but with, with that in mind, I mean, I don't think any companies are under the microscope now more than ever. Uh, I don't think any companies are more under the microscope about morals and ethics than the social media companies. 
Uh, I mean, what are, what are your feelings when you see the type of behavior that the leadership of Facebook, Twitter, and the like, and I'll use the names generically, just you know, reminding people what the social media giants are. I mean, what are your impressions when you see some of the things that they undertake and some of the things that you know the average person really resents? Yeah, that's a really good question. So I think in general, um, and I, I, I attack this in, in the book, um, I compare the social media companies, and I've written about this uh, recently in a couple of pieces, are, are like Migdal Bavel, the Tower of Babel. Um, and they have been deplatforming people. There's a lot of power associated there in an attempt to enforce a universal language and a universal way of thinking. And I think that's not okay. Um, I think the lesson of Migdal Bavel actually is, is God did not smash uh, the Tower of Babel. Instead, he scattered the people, giving them their own language and essentially self-efficacy over their culture and their language. Right. And that self-efficacy is important. I think we need the same for social media. I think we need to scatter the social media companies, scatter the social graph, and give people ownership uh, over their data and their social graphs and make them portable so they can develop their own languages. It worries me a lot. And by the way, and, even though it looks bleak, I think we're heading in that direction. Like, I think there really is hope that, that you know, at a, at a certain point, what you just described is going to happen. It might. I think there's another thing that's really challenging right now, which is the world is accelerating at an unbelievable pace, and technology is accelerating at an unbelievable pace, and, and Zoom and COVID has brought people together globally to work on things that accelerates things further. Governments and regulations, though, are like the Pony Express still. Right. And, you know, this is, this is a clash that's coming, and I think it's a clash between uh, civilizations. Uh, I'm optimistic broadly because I think the Torah is optimistic, uh, or somebody told me yesterday, Rabbi Sachs says, instead of using the word optimism, uh, we should use the word uh, hopeful, mm-hmm. because in, in hope you have agency, whereas in optimism it's a state of being. I'm very hopeful, and I think um, we'll figure this out, but it's going to be rickety, I think, because anytime you have one plate moving in one speed and another moving in another speed, there's friction. There certainly is. Michael Eisenberg's here. It's the uh, Tree of Life and Prosperity is the name of the book. You know, uh, there may not be a figure who um, uh, most exemplifies dealing with a difficult economic situation in the book of Genesis uh, more than Joseph. And you're you're a, you're a good businessman. You're somebody who's uh, been around the block, let's say, when it comes to uh, uh, the business world. Uh, I think when one looks at Joseph economically, from an economic standpoint, one can praise him or one can criticize him. Where do you fall when it comes to how Joseph managed a challenging situation in Egypt. So first of all, I'll point out to you that we've now covered uh, uh, Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, Noah, Abraham, uh, and now Joseph. And you were wondering at the beginning of the conversation whether there are business principles and economic principles in, in the book of Rashid, in the book of Genesis. Right, but, but, that, was, know, but that was it's more... It's all over the place. But that was more about the whole Torah. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of wondering if I should ask you about Kisavo, since we're in that week, but you probably have something you know, on Kisavo, right? Yeah, yeah, that's an easy one, actually. Um, Tazria, Tazria Mitzorah is harder. That's correct. But, <laughs> you call this during but, um, the right week. What do you say about Yosef? Yeah, so uh, Yosef uh, is is debated among the the parshanim among the exegetes of the Middle Ages in the modern era pretty vigorously, and it, it breaks into two camps. And I have a third camp personally. Uh, one camp, uh, like the Ralbag and and others, see him as having absolutely saved Egypt, saved his family, fixed the economy of Egypt, uh, and make it work. Um, Rabbi Yosef Bechor in, in medieval times, um, Shadal. 
and others see him as, as not having done such a good go- job, so much so that uh, Rav Yosef Bechor says that Yosef's uh, mismanagement or overshoot uh, caused the, the slavery in Egypt. Right. Um, right. And so, but, but my view is, is more complicated than that nuance. I, I, I adopt Rabag and the others who said Yosef did a good job and intentions uh, and, and ad- adopt what Rav Yosef Bechor says and said he caused the slavery but argue that economies are very complex systems, like biology. Um, economies are very, very complex systems. And when you tinker in one place, you don't know how it's going to be affect a different place. And that Yosef really had a great plan, and he invented certain kinds of storage and really understood how to harness the seasons to make this work. But that ultimately the plan impacted people so much that he had to enslave them and move them off their ancestral lands that it created a lot of resentment. And I think this is a very cautionary tale that even the most brilliant minds, economists, finance ministers, business people, even if they get it right for now, when you tinker with a complex system, you can, you can get into real trouble and overshoot, and they're really unpredictable. In complex systems in general, like Nicholas Nassim Taleb says, uh, need to be anti-fragile, and the Egyptian economy created by, by Yosef was very centralized, which made it super fragile. Um, and broke, and it broke on the Jewish people, on B'nai Israel at that time. And so mm-hmm. I think a positive view of Yosef's intentions, but, but a negative view of the outcome, because the system is, is so complex. And, and for what it's worth, that's very relevant to today. You know, we're tinkering a lot with biology. Look at uh, GMOs uh, and vaccines and, and COVID. You know, Anthony Fauci argued in a 2011 Washington Post article that it's okay, we can tinker with the flu virus, um, because, you know, we'll learn a lot from it. And who knows if it escaped from a lab or not? I certainly don't know. But, but it, you know, it causes you to have some caution, right. I think, and, and to respect the complex systems that, that, that God has created. Michael Eisenberg, there, it's, it's, it's a complicated world, as you said earlier. <laughs> but the, uh, uh, reading this book and about the uh, uh, incredible business principles in the book of Genesis uh, certainly uh, makes one think. And I guess if you're writing a book, that's what you want ultimately is to make people think about concepts and about this world in general. The book is on a uh, uh, is uh, being released by a publisher called Wicked Sun. How do people obtain the book? Well, you can get it on Amazon. You know, thank God the book hit number one uh, in business ethics wow. uh, over the last bunch of days, and and it's hitting number two in Old Testament commentaries. I hope it's behind Rashi, but I don't know who it's behind. <laughs> and uh, but it's number one in new releases in Old Testament commentaries, and it's in the top like uh, two thousand books on Amazon overall. So I'm really satisfied with what's going on, and you can buy it on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. And I hope Simon and Schuster, who's my distributor and publisher, gets it into. Uh, Swarm stores. I, I've tried to persuade them. I don't know if they've they've succeeded to be candid because I'm in Yerushalayim right. and not in uh, in Teaneck or the Five Towns. So, um, you know, I hope it's there too. But Amazon and, and BarnesandNoble.com are clearly the easiest. And if you want bulk orders uh, for 25 and more, we get you a discount from BookPal. So, um, really, really excited. Like you mentioned, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, Avram Avinu, Alfred <laughs> Nobel, Nicholas Nassim Taleb, Matt Ridley, Yosef Yaakov, Yitzhak. We got them all. Uh, <laughs> you certainly do. I'm sure people are curious. Uh, many of us, and I, I know a lot of listeners, uh, know about some of the companies that you followed over the years and uh, really put uh, resources behind. Is there anything today in mid-2021 that's striking your fancy more than others? Well, we, we I'll, I'll speak about one existing investment and then one trend. Um, you know, uh, 
You mentioned a company, Healthy I.O., before. I think it's pretty stunning. Uh, Yonatan Adiri is just a remarkable guy. He was Shimon Peres' chief technology officer when Peres was president of Israel. And his mom, mom fell in China on a trip, and he said, it's, it's crazy that we have these supercomputers in our park. It's called smartphones, and we can't diagnose things remotely. Right. And he said about transforming the smartphone camera into a full diagnostic device. It started with urine testing. And they launched in Israel and the United Kingdom, and it's exploded there. They do urine testing to, for early detection of kidney disease and uh, for UTIs, urinary tract infections, and other things just using the smartphone camera. It's pretty stunning, and it should be launching in the U.S., I hope, uh, towards the end of this year. They're hopefully clearing the FDA uh, soon. And I think when you think about this, it's really remarkable. Uh, you can create an amazing business making life more convenient for people. They don't just schlep to a lab and making it cheaper to provide health care uh, to many more people and doing a lot of good in the world. And I think that's that's being a light unto the nations yep. uh, with this kind of innovation and, and marrying what I call values create uh, value. Values create economic value. And and another trend I'm I'm, I'm watching pretty hard right now is because the pandemic uh, laid a lot of people off, there is a huge movement uh, in this period they're calling the Great Resignation into self-starting businesses. Right. And self-starting businesses can be lonely, though. Yep. And um, I think there's a lot of work to do with technology, one, to make uh, sole proprietors more successful. We have a couple of investments in this area, uh, Honeybrook for service professionals and an unannounced one for other people, but, but more to build community around these things. And I'm a big believer in the, in the power of these communities, both online and in person, uh, to support people and empower people and partner with people uh, to make a living. And you know, I'll make one more macro comment if it's okay with you. Yeah, but just to understand that one, in other words, it sounds like a network, but more like a professional, uh, you know, established network of people who are entrepreneurs and have good ideas. But I mean, and, and are involved in completely unrelated stuff. But there's a lot that they have in common, and it's sort of like a, a professional support group, right? Would that be the right way of putting it? it? Well, yes, but it could be much more than that, right? It could be economic empowerment, like. Solo entrepreneurs don't necessarily have pensions. That's provided by big employers. Right. And solo entrepreneurs don't have people who can invest in them. Right. And by the way, they don't have they don't have the financial tools uh, that big corporations have. And right. we using technology and the smartphone and, and artificial intelligence today can provide super smart personal financial tools uh, and services to entrepreneurs um, and to and to households uh, in a way we couldn't. And we have this company that's only focused on the Israeli market now called Rise Up. It's an amazing thing. They literally provide the value of a family office that's normally targeted at wealthy people to any individual. It's an AI bot that lives in WhatsApp and Messenger um, and tracks your finances, tell you how much money you have to spend, and, hey, you can soft off some for savings or put some away for a pension or invest some money here. And they've literally taken many, many, many thousands of Israelis out of overdraft wow. um, just with a bot and AI. And, you know, I, I think that's, again, values create value, and it's, it's creating a consumer community of Personal efficacy and financial efficacy, self-efficacy, yeah. that's, that's, I think, important. And you're creating economic freedom and independence, and what's better than that? Exactly. By the way, on that topic, if, if you'll allow me, sure. I, I've gotten I've asked since the book's released a bunch of times when I think about China, um, funnily. And um, the truth is that in my investment career, and I've been doing this for 25 years, I have not invested in China, uh, neither out of my, my funds or, or personal account. And, and uh, that's actually been driven by the Torah. Um, in a pretty uh, meaningful way. And, and the reason is the following. Uh, before there was freedom from slavery in Egypt, there was no uh, personal ownership. There was no capitalism. Capitalism, at its core, means you own your property. Right. Think about it. There was no lo tignov, do not steal, and no lo tachmod, thou shalt not covet. Uh, 
before the Exodus because nobody owned anything. And, right. and God takes pains to tell Abraham Avinu that he's going to leave Egypt with a lot of property. Why? Because he wanted them to have private property. That's foundational for freedom. And um, I've always thought that in China you don't own what you own or you think you own. Right. And, you know, most recently is, is China's taken action against tech companies and canceled the Ant.com IPO and others. You know, I, I think this is a cautionary lesson and a reminder to all of us about how important freedom is and it should not be taken for granted. Well, isn't that a message that you should be transmitting to some of your colleagues and some of the government officials in Israel as they get more and more cozy with China? I have. <laughs> I, I even wrote a blog. I even wrote a blog post about it in 2017. Uh, they got they got me summoned. <laughs> so, That's interesting. Wow, they they behaved like China with that one, I guess. <laughs> no, it was it was a lovely conversation. It was really a lovely conversation. It, it was the blog post was a conversation starter, uh, as it should have been. Understood, but it's yeah. uh, people wonder about. I mean, look, the, 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 there's no secret here when it comes to Africa, when it comes to uh, Afghanistan, when it comes to Europe, and of course, the United States. People are always wondering about the uh, uh, economic invasion of China, but I think it's happening in Israel also, right? Not, not just Tanuva, but but on a much larger scale. I think it's happening everywhere. It's happening yeah. in the U.S. too, but the U.S. set up a more rigorous CFIUS review board. CFIUS is a an organ of the Senate to to review transactions by foreign powers, um, and it needed a it needed a process to get after this. And Israel didn't have one set up. It's, it started to get one set up, um, and and a problem in Germany where the Chinese have bought many robotic manufacturing companies. And by the way, with what's going on in Afghanistan, I'm, I'm pretty certain that China's got some designs on on rare earth minerals in right. Afghanistan and building the you know the Belt Road Initiative, the the, the train. Uh, all through Afghanistan and into Europe and Iran. This, this should worry us. And, yeah. you know, we, we, it, the U.S. got vigilant about it only in the last few years. I think uh, Israel's behind behind the curve on that. Yeah, I was reading somewhere that Afghanistan is, is, is home to some of the uh, largest portions of natural resources in the world, certain items. Uh, and, of course, yes. Ch- China has uh, an interest in that. Uh, as 5781 comes to an end, and and as we are now in this stage of COVID, I never want to say the end of COVID, especially when it's when we're talking about Israel. Um, would we, would you evaluate Israel's economy as a strong economy still right now? The answer is yes, um, but in any economy right now, we need to talk about uh, two fundamental economies. There's the technology economy, which has reached escape velocity um, and created untold wealth over the last couple of decades, and particularly the last four or five years. And there are other segments of the economy um, that have been under more assault. Um, by the way, the media business has obviously felt this as well, but, but right. many others. And so um, the technology economy has, has roared forward. I, I did a calculation. Um, this will blow some people's minds, but that there's so much in $8 and $10 billion coming off of lockup. Lockup is what happens when you take a company public and you can't sell shares for cold six or 12 months. Um, and Israeli IPOs and public offerings have eight to ten billion dollars coming off of lockup in the next six to twelve months. You know that'll drive real estate prices fast uh, higher. And so the tech economy in Israel is roaring, and there are some other parts of the economy like real estate because of that. Those that are roaring, but there's others that not. And by the way, the same is true in the United States, um, where if we all don't do a better job bringing more people into the tech economy, uh, we're going to have we're going to have serious issues uh, on wealth gaps, and we're going to have serious issues. On, on figure out what people are going to do, and so we need to we need to really dig into that um, in a hard way. And your point about COVID is, you know, I, it, I don't know where we're at on it either. Um, uh, in different places, have taken different strategies, which I think 
in some measure reflects the, the price tag people put on life. I know that's not mm-hmm. a nice way to say it, but it's right. the truth. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, Israel's taking a hard line on that, but we're having a hard time right now, particularly with unvaccinated populations. Yeah. So um, people should go out and get vaccinated. And we, we kind of have to figure out how to get back to life at normal, but we're going to lose a lot of people, unfortunately. You know, it's spreading everywhere right now again. Yeah. Um, and I don't think the variant's any different than the first one. It just it incubates longer. It spreads faster. We gotta we gotta learn to live with it. Simple as that. There are other things we've learned to live with, and we gotta learn to live with this and not run away from it and not not participate in the only quarantine of healthy people in the history of the world. Um, uh, <laughs> you mentioned something about the technology and how we have to step it up here in the U.S. Without a strong, I, I don't know if that's possible without a really strong public school system here in the U.S. And I don't think they're equipped for it. Uh, both in elementary and high school level, to you know, to to train uh, or at least familiarize young people with what you're looking for, uh, more of a uh, a strong acumen when it comes to technology. So one of the things that I think the Torah teaches us, uh, I was giving a, a lecture two nights ago on this, and it's particularly true in Vayikra, but it's all over the place. What does that mean? And your brother will live with you, and live it just mean, it doesn't mean he'll be alive; it means he'll, he'll flourish. And I think the Torah guides us to a civic responsibility. And I think that civic responsibility is if I invest in my fellow and don't just wait for the government to do it, then the pie, the economic pie grows. And I think that that's at the heart of what the Torah thinks. It's not just what, like the Rambam says, that the highest degree of of charity of tzedakah is to do business with somebody. It's it's fundamental. If you partner with someone, invest with them, um, you know, the, the economic pie grows. And so... You know, I think all your listeners shouldn't wait for the government to do this. They won't. They can't. And it's not their fault. If they're still living in the Pony Express, it's a civic responsibility. Right. 100%. Michael Eisenberg, the book is called The Tree of Life and Prosperity. We're highly recommending it, everybody. It's on Amazon and a variety of other places. The Tree of Life and Prosperity, Michael Eisenberg. I take this opportunity to uh, wish you a happy, healthy, and sweet new year. And this was really enjoyable. Thanks for joining us this morning. Nachum, thank you so much for having me again. And uh, I, I, what I'm trying to do with the with the book, and the one will come after it, which will be called uh, "Everyone Can Be Moses, uh, <laughs> Everyone Can Be Moshe," is well, you know, it's out in Hebrew already, on Moses and Vayikra, so I know what it'll be called in English. And I'm just I'm trying to start a conversation. So the extent people pick it up and either read it week by week or read it in one sitting in the middle of the rabbi's drasha. No, no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> We, we, uh, you know, I'd love feedback, reviews, uh, and just to have a conversation. So uh, thank you for having me here, and thank you for having this conversation. And keep up the great work you're doing. And Shana Tova, Ktivava Chatimatova. Tadaraba, Shana Tova to you. Wednesday morning broadcast. You're listening to JM in the AM.